Hello and welcome to Vet Chloe on the Road. Insights from real people making positive change for our planet. I am Chloe, a veterinarian who has an interest in wildlife and all things environmental. And this is a show for people who would like to connect, learn, and prioritize caring for our beautiful green and blue world. Come join me as I travel around Australia in my van, Layla. Let's share all things conservation and meet all the inspiring environmental heroes along the way. And as my brother Oliver and I arrived into Darwin this weekend, after six plus hours from driving from the outback, we made it just in time for the Rise for Climate March in Darwin. 8th of September was an international day to pressure governments around the world to do the right thing when it comes to changing from fossil fuel to renewable energy. I shared some pics on Instagram, bet Chloe on this, and a time-lapse of March, which is fun to see. And after the march, there was a number of speeches, with one of them greatly taking my attention, given by Aitan Lenko, who spoke on behalf of Beyond Zero Emissions, BZE. I loved his speech because it made me feel very hopeful, and afterwards I asked him if he could be interviewed today, and he was very open and generous for this to happen. So, hope you enjoy, and listen in, and learn more. So welcome to the show, Eitan. Thank you for spending the time with us today. Very welcome. It's great to be here. Fabulous. So to start, I've had a look at the website Beyond Zero Emissions, and it describes BZE as a volunteer-powered climate solutions think tank. Sounds awesome. Can you tell us a bit more about this organization? Sure. So BZE um, started probably back in 2008 and 2009 out of kind of frustration that we understood that climate change was this big thing that was happening and it didn't seem that government was really planning or preparing for it or even, you know, there was a whole debate whether it was even possible to, to move to a, a zero emissions world and economy. Yeah. So BZD was founded on the, on the theory as if we can get enough experts together, so technical people, scientists, engineers, and throw them a problem like solve how to make Australia's electricity grid 100% renewable in 10 years, how would you actually do that? If that's the actual answer, let's work out how we can get there. Like, literally, what kind of technologies would you use? How much would it cost? How much concrete would you need to pour? How many jobs would you need to do that? Where would everything go? Um, and then model that out against the actual real-life weather and see if that's an actual feasible thing we can do. So BZD kind of did that in, um, in 2009, and that was our first report, a stationary energy report that showed how Australia could transition to 100% renewable energy. Um, and that is very, very feasible. Yeah, and it turned out to be really, even back then when, you know, if we did that report again now, it'd be a lot cheaper than, than um, you know, back in 2009, because obviously the cost of solar and, and other renewable technologies has come down. But even then, we showed that it was, you know, feasible, not that much difference to the cost of running, you know, business as usual with a fossil fuel um, mm -hmm. grid. And what, what that did really was move the conversation on from, you know, is it possible or not to, it's possible, but is it too expensive? Is it, you know, do we have the will to do it? Mm -hmm. So, and that, that you know, brought a whole lot of, of um, I guess, attention onto BZE and a whole lot of, uh, you know, new volunteers, mm -hmm. and we could move on to, to doing reports for other sectors of, of the economy. Wow, I mean, that just really excites me because yeah. you guys are a group that's very actionable and very practical because sometimes this world of conservation and hearing about these awful facts can be very debilitating and you can feel very frustrated. So I think it's good to collaborate with all these other great minds from different industries and show that it can be done. I think that's wonderful. Obviously, BZE was hard at work before 2009. I guess how long does it take to figure this all out, the plan? Oh, yeah. 
No, so obesity kind of started around 2008, 2009, and the, our first report came out in 2010. So, yeah, okay. it took a couple of years. And yeah. An interesting, I guess, you know, interesting, um, what's the word I'm looking for? An interesting uh, thing about that report is that it was actually launched by Malcolm Turnbull in Sydney back in 2010, and you can YouTube his speech at the launch of that BZD stationary energy report. And, you know, it was, you know, he was like, it's so possible, it's so, you know, this is obviously the way that we should go, so... Oh, my God, I did not realise that. I mean, that's why we're having this conversation, because I only heard of you for the first time yesterday, and I really would love to learn more and promote your guys' work, because I think that you, you guys are a space that we really all should be watching and supporting. So Malcolm Turnbull... Um, was an agreement that the plan was feasible and could work, and he was trying to push for it in government. Um, well, no, this is only, yeah, that's that's. The, well, this is, I think he'd just been deposed as um, opposition leader, and then he was going through his climate change is a real thing kind of phase. So, yeah. Anyway, he was he 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 launched the report and he gave a really great speech. So you can look that up. So, yeah, it was a bit disappointing when he was actually prime minister and didn't push it as hard as, as what he seemed to believe at the time. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. It kind of, it, from my conversations as I podcast, I'm finding that it is the politics is when the brakes come on. And um, maybe we can get into that. I realise that you guys are more of a think tank. And I also read that BZE is one of the top international think tanks in the world and has been for the last three years in a row and that this ranking system is by the Lauder Institute, which people can learn more about from your website, bze.org, and that BZE was ranked 25th in the world out of over 6,500 international think tanks of those to watch in 2018. So congratulations, what an achievement. And can you tell us more, you already have addressed it, but um, a think tank, I mean, this is basically, I love the idea, um, I guess very in intelligent people from different industries all coming together. How, how does this happen? Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting, the word think tank, because it's, it's kind of, I think BZD is a really unique organisation and it's hard to find a word like to, that actually, you know, we're not an environmental organisation, we're not an engineering organisation, we're not even, you know, a think tank is usually an organisation that comes together and puts, you know, uh, policies or research or, or that sort of thing kind of just out into the public and then the public's supposed to, I guess, uh, use that to lobby or whatever. And BZD does a lot more um, direct communication, so we have a lot... Because, you know, the way that BZD works is that we have um, a lead researcher who's paid that will, you know, coordinate the writing of a report, but then we'll get, like, you know, lots of volunteers, so 10 or 20 or 100 volunteers, depending on how big the report is, you know, contributing their expertise and, and passion mm -hmm. um, pro bono. But then what happens is because those people have contributed their time, they, they feel ownership over the report mm -hmm. and they don't want it to just sit on a shelf. So they go out yeah. and help communicate it. They give talks to different community groups, their local, um, you know, representatives to, you know, all over the place at summits and at conferences. Yeah. So it, it becomes a living, breathing um, document rather than just something that's put on a shelf somewhere so yeah. think tank is kind of, you know there's it's one way to describe us and obviously yeah. it's it's we're, we're getting kudos for being a, a think tank yes. but you know I think there's more than just the thinking bit we're actually kind of <laughs> involved in some of the doing as well yeah yeah no I think that it is a fabulous group that you've got going and I understand that you have come up I guess fairly recently from Melbourne like what's your background um, in general and then your role in BZE yeah, sure. So I, I have a technical background. I was a, I studied um, uh, computer science and, and electrical engineering at, at university. 
Um, but then in my career, I, I moved. I worked in software. I was a software engineer, and I founded a company that made, um, you know, a mobile software, so like apps and mm -hmm. stuff for mobile phones, and, and grew that. Um, and meanwhile, I was volunteering at BZE, and then when BZE formed a board, I, I became, I joined the board. Well, I was asked to join the board, and then became um, chair of the board for a number of years. And now yeah. I'm just a, a board member, yeah. regular board member again since I've moved up here. Great. Um, and my wife's a, a doctor, and, and she got a job up here at Royal Darwin Hospital. So oh, we decided fabulous. to move the family up and, and have an adventure. So yeah. it's been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's the same reason why I'm here, for an adventure. Darwin is is known for that. And what I loved in your um, your great speech yesterday, um, I thought you spoke really well, um, I loved how you addressed that um, people from Darwin are uh, like to see themselves and are independent and pioneering people. Um, you've been living here for a year, have you? And have you found that to be the case? Um, what are Darwin people like up here? Well, I think, you know, it's super friendly. Like, it's been really easy to make friends and, and fit into the community. And everyone's, um, you know, got their opinions of the best places to go and the best places to kind of get out and, and see. So, you know, people are really kind of welcoming and, uh, you know, it's been fantastic kind of meeting people. So, yeah. yeah, that's good. But I think, you know, definitely, obviously, Northern Territory has that pioneering spirit. Like, especially when you get out of Darwin yeah. into the bush, people have to learn how to fix things themselves and, and make things and do things, yeah. you know, because of the remoteness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in general, I find those are the kinds of people, you know, BZD is really about, we've got this problem, you know, we've got technical knowledge, we've got the technology, let's kind of apply it together yeah. and work out how we fixed it. So, yeah. fix it, you know, so it's like for electricity or for buildings or for transport, all that stuff. Um, and that really seems to fit in well with the mentality up here. Like, you yeah. know, here's a problem. Like, let's just let's <laughs> just get it done. Let's fix it. Like, yeah. let's do <laughs> And you were saying, you know, it is a, a fairly small population, I think 150,000 yeah. um, people of Darwin. Um might need to cross-check my facts there, but that's what my brother Oliver was looking up as we were um, driving into Darwin. We had all these questions as to what is this place all about? And, you know, it's the smallest um, capital city in Australia. And maybe we can go over some of the things you spoke about yesterday that were more specific to Darwin, because you were saying how, you know, it is a small community, there is this problem, there's heaps of sun here. I have been experiencing it. You know, it's just the beginning of spring. I've got, like, beaded sweat on my upper lip here. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a very warm and humid place. Um, reminds me a bit of my home, Bermuda. Um, but actually, it's much more intense here, I would say. So maybe um, fill in the listeners as to what you are talking about yesterday, specific to Darwin and the challenges here. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, specifically for Darwin, and you could probably take this for, for all of Australia as well, is that... You know, Darwin's a place, um, well, the Northern Territory is a place that has a lot, you know, not, not a huge population. It's 250,000 people mm. that live in the, in the Northern, Terri <coughs> Northern Territory. Um, but it's a huge amount of land. You know, it's got the highest um, levels of solar radiation pretty much in the world. Mm. And, um, yeah, we've got all the technology that, that we could, you know, pretty easily run the Northern Territory, or at least the, the urban parts of the Northern Territory off, um, off renewable energy. Mm. So, you know, I guess the, the flip side of the talk is that there's also a lot of resources um, in the ground here in the Northern Territory, and, and the government is, you know, has just lifted the moratorium on, on fracking and, and want to encourage um, fracking and onshore gas mm. activity. Can you explain what fracking is? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Um, I'll yeah. put a link in our show notes as well because I realise that is quite a tough question. But um, it's it's something quite invasive onto the land, and it's a way of getting minerals out, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, you um, inject a lot of um, high pressure water and other chemicals into the into the ground, and it, it goes, you know, 
below the water table and into kind of the rocks that are down there and fractures the rocks. And, and the idea is depending what's in those rocks, so in this case it's gas, methane, um, that, that, you know, the, the rocks crack, the methane comes out mm -hmm. and comes back up to the surface where it's, you know, the idea is that it's captured. But so they've said the okay for fracking to happen here in Northern Territory? Yeah, that's right. There was a, um, a scientific inquiry into um, hydraulic fracturing and, and that inquiry, the actual report, actually it, it, does, it does a pretty good job in highlighting all the risks to both, both water, injecting chemicals into ground, the fact that it doesn't have a, a social licence, like for in, you know, Indigenous Aboriginal people, um, the invasiveness of the technique is, is really hurtful to them, you know, because mm. it's, their, it's their country, it's their land and, you know, for, the, for them it's a really terrible um, activity. Um, and the fact that it, it, it releases a huge amount of um, methane into the atmosphere through the process, which is, and methane's an extremely high um, carbon equivalent um, gas. Yeah. So, you know, by the government's own report, if they, if they do frack um, a lot of the area that's been put, put you know, allowed to be, to be fracked, um, that would increase Australia's total greenhouse emissions for the whole of Australia by more than 6%. Yikes! And this is at a time where Australia signed onto the Paris... Um, climate agreement and, and is trying to reduce our emissions by just 20, 23 percent yeah, yeah. and that's like this huge um, debate and effort um, so yeah. that a single activity could could increase our emissions by six percent is pretty unacceptable and it seems like the local people do not want this fracking so they're kind of being overrun or not listened to by the local government here because I guess the economic benefits seem too good is that yeah. their argument yeah, well, the, the issue here is that, you know, for a long time, the Northern Territory has been... The, the model for the economy here is to, to kind of bring on these huge um, resource extraction activities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you bring in this one big project, that brings in a whole lot of construction and, you know, at the beginning to, to get that project up and running, and that brings a temporary kind of boom for the economy. And then you get that, this kind of boom-bust cycle. And the issue is that, you know, that, that you kind of get addicted to the booms and then everyone, when there's a bust, everyone gets really upset. So at the moment, um, we're going through a bit of a bust, you know, after the last period of, wow. of activity. And so the government's desperately looking for that next boom, mm. you know, where that's going to come from. So that, you know, they seem to think it's going to come from fracking. And while people don't like the idea of fracking, they're also worried about the economy and jobs yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you can understand it. And it, I guess, is like a short-term fix, you know? Um, it'll run out, that fracking project, and on to the next one. And, you know, Australia is a beautiful land. There's so much minerals and, as you say, resources in the land. We've got it all, Australia, and that's how it's done so well, actually, being mainly desert. But also there's lots of um, sun. There's a beautiful environment. There's a lot of people that care about it. So there is this sort of tussle going on at the moment. Uh, you know, I guess the answer to... Um so the question is, what, what can the economy do here, which is kind of what, what my speech was about yesterday yeah. and what BZE is, is working on, is what's, what's, the, what's the alternative economic plan for the Northern Territory that's based on all its other natural resources, like the amount of sun, like its space, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, if we could build, um, you know, if we could build an economy that was based on renewable resources here, you could have, you know, unlimited cheap energy, um, you know, BZD is doing an industry plan at the moment that shows how manufacturing can be electrified. So it would unlock a whole lot of manufacturing activities that you'd be able to do here cheaper than in other places. Mm. And, you know, ultimately you'd be able to export energy, you know, in, in various ways, maybe through hydrogen or even directly via by, by an undersea cable um, to places like Asia. And, and you could really base a thriving economy on those 
on, on you know on, on clean renewable energy rather than than um, fracking and things like that yeah. definitely and you know even on the BZE website it says that you know we believe that Australia could be a renewable energy superpower so Darwin in particular because of space and so much sun radiation um, but that's a very exciting idea can you Talk about that example you gave of that town that actually was going through a bit of a crisis with coal being no longer an option. Um, you know, I really uh, lit up when you gave this example because it's an example, you know? It's like what actually happened. And I must say, I'm always just searching for hope. And sometimes it's all just words. So I love that this was actionable and it's really turned things around. Can you explain? Yeah, sure. So there's a town in South Australia called Port Augusta. And Port Augusta is a real... It was a real... Um, Coal, coal centre, I guess. They had a huge coal-fired power station that, that provided most of the jobs um, in the town and was really the backbone for its economy. Um, and that coal power station was quite old and the owners decided to, um, to close it down. So that town was, um, was a cancer hotspot in South Australia. It was known as a particularly unhealthy place to live due to all the coal pollution. Um, but even so, when, when the coal power station, when they were told it was going to close down, they were really worried because, the, you know, again, the jobs and economy, where, where were their jobs going to come from? How was the economy going to thrive without the coal power station? So um, BZD wrote, um, I guess, a plan specifically for Port Augusta that, that showed, you know, these are the perfect kinds of renewable technologies that, that your town is perfectly placed um, to benefit from. Um, this, this is how much it would cost, this is where they would go, you know, with, with you know, real detail, not just a high-level kind of plan. Mm. Um, and we presented that at the town, and the, and the town got really excited about it, the population, the mayor got behind it as well, um, and they, they formed their own um, community organisation called Repower Port Augusta, um, and they then went out and lobbied, you know, all of their local council, their state government, their federal government, um, they, they interviewed everyone in the town and found that over 90% of people supported the plan. Oh. Um, you know, and they, they really got a lot of momentum about it. And then, you know, uh, you know last year, last, over the last couple of years, Port Augusta has become a renewable um, energy hub, you know, and a lot of the plan, a lot of the specific technologies that we talked about in the plan, including oh. Australia's first solar thermal power station, mm. um, is, uh, are going to be built there. So, wow. yeah, and so even today now there's, there's more jobs in renewables in Port Augusta than there was in coal before, and it's become, again, a thriving town, but now without all of the, the health issues that, that wow. coal used to have. So it's a really exciting story. It really is. That's such a huge success story. And thank you for sharing it. I think that really is um, is such an awesome example, and I'd love to get more into it, actually. And so we spoke about it before, and Port Augusta is an example. Um, we, we were saying that BZ, BZE has created a blueprint for Australia, the Zero Carbon Australia Plan. And your website describes more about this, and they say that uh, quote, this is a plan designed to guide the entire Australian economy successfully into the area of climate-safe agriculture, industry, manufacturing, and 100% renewable energy. So it, it's very all-inclusive. You know, economy is in there too, as you say with Port Augusta. And it's a big question. It's a broad question. I'm sure I can find out more um, on your website. But um, what kind of thing does this plan set out? Um, how do you go about making a country 100% renewable? Yeah, so the, the I guess there's lots of different approaches, but BZE's approach has been to break up the economy into different sectors and then tackle each of those sectors one by one. So, mm. um, so there's stationary energy, that's the electricity system. Okay. 
there's buildings, which is how do we make all of our buildings. And Australia's got a very inefficient building stock, a lot of really poorly, um, you know, poorly built house housing stock in particular. So how do we go and retrofit all of those? So we did a buildings plan that shows what you would do, how much it would cost to do that for every single house in Australia and all the commercial buildings as well. Um, and versus what what the savings would be from much you know the the, the efficiency of those new buildings, um, transportation we've we've kind of had a go at so far with high speed rail and and electric vehicles, nice. um, land use which shows how we can manage our land more efficiently, um, and at the moment we're really tackling um, industry. So we had a report that came out last year around how we can manufacture zero emissions concrete. In Australia, and concrete is really interesting because it's, it seems really boring and everywhere, but concrete is actually 8% of the world's emissions come from the manufacture of concrete. Really? Yeah, and That's cement. Huge. So, yeah, so it's actually a really big thing. So we've had actually really big traction with that, with that um, concrete plan. Right. Um, and then next week in Melbourne, we're launching our, our latest plan, which is our um, industrial plan, which shows how we can electrify industry and get manufacturing off... Uh, fossil fuels like gas and coking coal, um, and use electrical <coughs> processes, which means they can power be powered by renewable energy, um, and and basically turn you know steel manufacturing and you know all kinds of manufacturing into into a zero emissions um, a process. Wow, and it's very doable. There's a plan. Yeah, that's it, and it's um you know obviously be better <laughs> if um governments around the world were making these plans, yeah. but because you know but. You know, it, you know, it's amazing. On BZE's, you know, extremely low budget, we've been able to do... Yeah. You know, if, if government was going to do a plan like this, it would cost millions and millions of dollars and you'd get, a, a, you know, these, these huge kind of documents. But yeah. BZE manages to do it on a, on a really on a shoestring budget because yeah. so many people are contributing their time um, and effort. And, you know, the, the, the quality of the reports is, is really super high and, you know, they're often then taken to government... And, and and are used, you know. For me, the best the best thing that BZE and the, then the Zero Carbon Australia plans do is provide that hope. They provide a vision. It's hard to go somewhere if you don't have a vision where yeah. you want to go. So when you read a BZE report, you really get a picture of what the world could be like yeah. in um in just ten years if we actually you know decided to do it. And that's the plan, right? A ten year plan. This is. Yeah. So all of BZE's plans, like the rules, the rules of our plans are that they have to use. Off-the-shelf technology. Our plans aren't on, you know, in five years' time, some amazing new thing right. will be invented, and cool. we'll just use that. It has to be stuff that's available and understood today, um, and it has to be achieved in a ten-year time frame because that's what climate science tells us. We We've got to be quick on this, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's an emergency, actually. Yeah, that's it. It's a it's a climate emergency, and there's a whole new, I guess, there's a whole new wave of of climate organisations that are taking up this climate emergency theme that we really need to move quick because once we pass those tipping points, it's very hard to, um, to turn back. Um, so BZD's plans are really suit that, that new climate emergency movement really well because our plans aren't just, we can do this over the next 100 years. It's like, how do we do this in 10 years? No, I, I just, you know, goosebumps, man. It's just, um, it's just great. And, you know, I feel like you're doing the government's job, actually, um, you know, surely... Oh, you know, this should be um, a big responsibility that, that they undertake. So thank you for explaining that. So your, ha your website has a whole heap of exciting proposals, some that um, we've spoken about now. Um, electric transport is ready now as a headline. Agriculture and fo forestry can go net zero by sequestering CO2. And also a headline, most buildings can produce more energy than they consume. Um, all really exciting. I guess that last one, most buildings can produce more energy than they consume. Is that with solar panels on them? Is this the thinking? 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, you can you can run a building that it's like really efficient. You know, obviously well insulated, oriented the right way, awnings, um, electrified, fully electrified internally. Um, so you can get to the point where you, it needs very little energy to run. But yeah, then once you add things like um, solar panels and those sorts of things, and the, those buildings can be producing energy. And recently, in our concrete plan, we we discovered you know with a little bit more research there are kinds of concrete that actually absorb carbon from the atmosphere as well so you could build buildings that are you know producing electricity but also absorbing carbon you know like a tree yeah exactly (laughs) that'd be pretty cool um no that's really um exciting stuff and obviously once you write these reports people part of bze are maybe good at politics and present it to government i guess there's also a big convincing or showing them is that also a big part of it yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard for for a small organisation to go out and, and, and publicise a report everywhere so that everyone knows about it. So really, BZD, we, we do a bit like we have a big launch and, um, you know, we have a launch in multiple cities across Australia and obviously we have our, uh, our communications team that are, you know, trying to get media and out there doing talks. But really, we also see ourselves as basically where this open source IP for the rest of the environment movement to use. So lots of campaigns have been built on BZE's research, you know, so if there's a if there's an organisation out there that really wants to promote renewable energy, rather than just going out there saying we want 100% renewable energy with no other detail, they can take mm. BZE's report and use that as their as their detail, yeah. and that'll have costs and jobs and all that sort of stuff, and gives a lot more kind of backup yeah. to their argument. It's it's super generous. I mean, I can't imagine how many tens of thousands of hours more <laughs> um, have been put into producing reports like this from all the people involved. It's just incredible. And it gets to my really burning question, which we've touched on a bit, which is, you know, if coal and fossil fuels over renewable and sustainable energy is hurting the Australian people, the Australian economy, the Australian wildlife, the Australian environment, and beyond hurting the whole planet by ultimately providing less jobs, from that example you gave, um, less stable jobs, disrespecting Aboriginal land rights, escalating the already awful animal extinction rate of Oz, reducing habitats for animals, trashing our water systems, contributing global warming. It just goes on and on and on. Then why, oh why, if it's that obvious, um, is the Australian government not fully on board with making change and renewables a priority? Who is winning out of us not doing this? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a difficult situation and it's hard to kind of be right all the time as well because, you know, I think we've, you know, BZE back in, in 2009 talked about, you know, 100% renewable energy and, and that was considered a really audacious and aggressive goal. And now we've seen, you know, with the costs coming down even faster than, than we predicted, which was, and we already right. predicted it to be quite rapid, you know, no one argues that it's, that it's not possible anymore. So, you know, given all that, it is hard, it is hard to understand sometimes why, why government stay stuck in their paradigm. Obviously, coal and fossil fuels had their, had their point in our economic development and their, and their place. You know, they're, they're obsolete technologies now. But, you know, in any, in any big transition, it's, it's, you know, very hard for the vested interests to just say, look, oh, we're just going to stop now and, and we'll let you guys kind of take over. So, obviously, vested interests have a lot of money, they have a lot of influence, um, and they influence government. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they, they're telling government that it's not over, that there's still a role for all of these fuels well into the future when we know that that's not the case. So yeah. it takes, you know, government can be a bit slow. And I think in, in any ordinary trans- transition, that'd be fine. Like, if I look forward 100 years, you know, I'm 100% <laughs> sure that, you know, the world will be powered by renewable energy and, and we'll have sorted a lot of this, this stuff 
out, at least from a technolo technological perspective. Yeah. But the problem is, for the first time ever, we we kind of have a time frame. We don't have a hundred years. We've yeah. probably gone more like ten or twenty years to sort it out. Right. Um, so it's kind of a new, um, you know. There's not many examples where government has had to had to to switch its paradigm that quickly. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the best examples is is when there's an external threat. So like with World War Two, you had government, you know, snap into action. Car factories were turned into tank factories and right. you know the, the government said we're gonna we're gonna have an emergency mobilization on this and move forward really quickly yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of yeah that is what the climate emergency <laughs> movement's calling for we kind of need that that move that 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 moment so I guess I guess part of what BZD is doing is if that does happen and, and you know we, let's hope that it does happen um, at least BZD will, will give everyone a good starting point for the plans to kind of take to get yeah. to get going rather than having to wait a few more years to come up with all the plans. Great answer. That yeah. really has, um, you know, given me a new sort of take on it all. And, I mean, I would love to learn more about this. I mean, surely there's some awful corruption going on. There must be some ulterior motives of some of these politicians. I don't know if there's under-table payments or... I don't know. I just don't understand still... When it comes down to the individuals, you know, giving their stamp of approval, what is blocking them when they obviously are intelligent people to be running the country, hopefully, why not the final stamp of approval? But um, I think you're right. I think change can take a long time, but we don't have that time. So how can people become involved? I've had a look at the website. Um, I've actually sent an email to uh, inquiring about becoming a volunteer, and I've subscribed to the podcast Beyond Zero, which is actually a radio show, I understand. Um, but any other advice to listeners? Yeah, so I mean, definitely the podcast is great. Said like so, BZD produces a um, a podcast that interviews experts in all the areas that we're working in all around the world. It's really informative podcast. But there are depending on where you're living, there's BZD does have discussion groups running in in different places in different states. So go and have a look at the BZD website and see if there's a group a BZD group um, near where you live. Um, but otherwise, yeah, um, send an email through if, if you want to get involved. Obviously, um, donating is, is obviously appreciated and yeah. helps us continue our research. Yeah. So at the very least, if you like what we do, uh, yeah, have a think about percent. contributing. I always like the idea of like a small percentage of your income going to something that you really believe in so that when you go to work, wouldn't it be great to feel like, yes, maybe you can't be, you know, on the front line of, you know, protesting and, you know, driving around Australia in your van like I am. You know, we all can't do these things, um, but we all have jobs. And wouldn't it be more fulfilling and waking up in the morning feeling like I'm fighting for climate change in a way? Like, even if it's 0.05% or something like this. Um, I mean, you know, the biggest struggle that a lot of these, you know, so many of these um, organisations that work in climate do amazing things. And you'd be blown away about how little money they run off and how few people are actually involved sometimes. So, um, you know, contributions to specifically to climate organisations have a really outsized impact. I think there was a stat, I think less than 2% of philanthropy in Australia goes to um, organisations working on climate change, which, you know, for the scale of the problems <laughs> is pretty low. So, yeah, you know, whether you support BZD or some other organisation that's, yeah. that's working on... on um, you know, moving us forward on climate change. I think yeah. that's well worth while. And I think the main hurdle for people in donations is they actually want to really trust the organisation, want to know that it's doing the good work. And that's why it's been lovely to meet you, spend time with you. It makes me fully trust what you guys are doing and very transparent and very helpful and has a good um, ethos, good values um, behind it. Because sometimes when you... 
you know, check out a website, you're still not sure what's behind, you know, all these uh, headlines and things. So that's also the purpose of the podcast is to actually kind of bring the people to others. Um, and as I wrap up, as I do for all my podcasts, um, despite all this doom and gloom of the planet, I would love to ask you, how do you stay inspired? Um, yeah, so, I mean, for me, I get inspired just kind of what I was talking about before, seeing all these people that are, that are you know, really putting their lives into trying to turn the world around and do something on climate change, you know, even though sometimes it feels like no one else really cares and people are just going around their, their day-to-day things. It's people that are actually, um, you know, have, have changed the direction of their life and, and are fighting and the amount that they achieve and do is incredible. You know, without those people, the Adani mine would be happening. You know, we'd have, you know, the situation would be a lot worse than what it is today and it's hard to, hard to see that sometimes. So I guess coming into contact with those people and, and their energy and their hope and their vision, um, that, that really that gives me a lot of energy too. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with you on that, actually. I stay inspired in much the same way. So thank you so much, Eitan. Thank you so much for your time. I really wish you all the best of luck and for BZN as well. I look forward to volunteering with them, watching this space, and spreading the word of your work. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Good luck with your trip. Thank you very much. So bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And I hope, just as much as I did, you have learned a lot from Eitan and BZN and have felt a lot of hope and inspiration from what was spoken about, what the future can and hopefully will look like soon. Let's help make it happen together by supporting BZE and spreading the word. Tune into their podcast, as Aiton mentioned, and check out the show notes where there are links to BZE and links to Malcolm Turnbull's speech, as mentioned, at the 2010 Zero Carbon Australia launch, and a YouTube interview on the Port Augusta example. This episode came a smidge early as my brother Oliver and I head off to Kakadu National Park today. We're really excited about it. It should be great. So next episode, I'll fill you in on it all as well as information about the termite. Intrigued? Well, tune in and learn about this incredible insect in its society, which is an integral part of the outback environment. Till then, stay kind and I'll see you at the next stop.